0: Greetings from St Bride's Church Fleet Street here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're tuning into this podcast during this season of Lent. Do please leave a comment or a like and tell us where you're listening from. It's always good to hear from you and if you would like to donate to help support these online services you'll find details of how to do so in the accompanying text. And now May the light and peace of Christ be with us all as our worship begins. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Be with you. Please be seated. A very warm welcome to St. Bride's to our choral Eucharist on this, the third Sunday of Lent. Wherever you are in the world and however you're listening to us, we hope that you will feel that you are very much part of the St. Bride's family. We begin now with our opening prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, To whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Let us come to the Lord who is full of compassion and acknowledge our transgressions in penitence and faith. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: The Old Testament reading is taken from Exodus, chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter your manservant or your maidservant or your cattle or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honour your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not kill you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not cover your neighbour's house, you shall not cover your neighbour's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, or his ox, or his ass, or anything that is your neighbour's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning at the 18th verse. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
3: Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers at their business. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all, with the sheep and the oxen, out of the temple, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away, you shall not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for thy house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign have you to show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words which Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord.
4: Father, may you put your words upon my lips. Amen. I like the Gospel passage because it asks so many questions and it provides a few answers as well. You may notice that when I preach there are a few themes I seem to come back to time and again. One of the things I find myself coming back to is the nature of God. The reason for this is that I think it's relatively straightforward to make the leap from not believing... To believing there is a guiding hand behind the universe you just see some of the miracle of being alive the extraordinary wonder of nature and everything else and you think I, I, you can buy it you can have it you can think that there is a god that makes you a theist however it doesn't kind of get you all the way in faith yes there's a god the second question is but what's he like Jesus is often depicted as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But he's, he's far from meek and he's far from mild in, in this reading. I mean, it's quite shocking in a way, isn't it? The temple was the holiest of holies. And if you went into the wrong part of it, you could be dragged off and tortured or killed. There was a real sense of God's kind of foreboding actual presence there, which was both extraordinary and scary. And so making a fuss in the temple would be just about the last thing you'd really expect someone who wanted to win people over to do. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he makes a complete scene. Why does he make such a scene? Well, I think it's to do with his outraged sense of justice. I've been in churches that refuse to have any commercial activity in them at all, because they take the line that we saw here about not turning God's place into a marketplace. But that's not what Jesus means at all. The reason he's so outraged is that the people who are doing the trading are basically ripping off ordinary poor folk. When you went to the temple, you brought an offering with you, an animal that was then to be slaughtered. It was a kind of bloodbath, really, up there at that altar. And if you couldn't afford a really top animal, maybe like a sheep, then you'd have to maybe have a bird or something like that much cheaper. And the traders in the forecourts in the temple were selling on these creatures to people, especially the ones that couldn't afford the big animals, and were making a profit out of it. That's why I think that Jesus is so outraged by everything. He he doesn't think it's right. The traders are making money out of people who've got no option to go anywhere else. As you might say, they've got them over a barrel. Now Jesus could have just simply gone up and said, Oh, come on guys, I think you should stop. But no, he goes absolutely bananas. He makes a whip and he goes around thrashing around at the traders. My goodness, they must have been a bit scared. I mean, there's a lot of arguments that Jesus is a pacifist. But what he's certainly capable of is extraordinary anger, physical, visceral anger. Jesus does this in the temple because he feels he can do nothing other than this. He's not doing it to make a big display of theology. He's doing it because he wants to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. And I find that a very appealing idea about what God is like. There have been many times in my life people have stood up for me and I've always been extremely grateful. So we have a clue don't we about the nature of God. God is the God of justice not the God of revenge. The Old Testament is full of vengeance, of extracting revenge, of paying the price but that's not quite the same here. I want God to be there to defend those who have very little. The second point And again, I think it's extremely interesting. It's about the way that we read the Bible, which is another one of those themes that I enjoy coming back to. Probably because I hadn't read the Bible at all until I became a Christian in my 40s. We read the Bible as though we know the ending. In fact, we do know the ending. But it would be a bit different if you were in the middle of the story and you didn't know what was to come. He didn't know how things were going to finish. And so the people in this scene don't know what's going to happen. They don't know about the cross. They don't know about the resurrection. They don't know about God's coming kingdom. All they know as is that something a bit odd is happening. So it's very easy to think how silly they must have been because they don't understand Jesus' sayings. But if we didn't know the end of the story, would we have been any wiser? So we see the followers are very human. I think that's quite encouraging, really, because it says that we as followers don't have to be super spiritual, super smart, or have all the answers. The issue where they get confused is when Jesus says he's going to take down the temple and rebuild it. And this would have been utterly preposterous, because the temple was right at the heart of everything they were proud of, of their nation. They were proud that they built this extraordinary temple. It take decades. They felt that all the hard work they put in, all the craftsmanship, all this was a thing that would last forever and that displayed their specialness, their, their, their holiness. But Jesus is obviously speaking metaphorically in a way because he says that the temple, the physical temple, the temple made of bricks and mortar, isn't the real holy place. I think that's very interesting today as we stand in this beautiful temple, a most beautiful church. And it's wonderful. I get a great sense of God's presence in this place. But the centre of everything is not the building that we worship in. The real place of encounter with God, of wholeness and forgiveness, of joy and all the things that come with it, is the person of Christ. Jesus wanted people to understand that the edifices that they built cannot possibly last. Nothing nothing can last. He wanted us to understand that God is so very close and that all we need to do is just ask him, invite him in for a moment of encounter, one-on-one, and the physical Christ can then transform us. I came to faith very late. I've been very rarely to church. Um, my only experience of church really was going to the odd wedding um, or having to go because I was in the scouts, and if I, if I didn't go, I couldn't play in the football team. And I think I find it liberating to know that the journey of faith is intrinsically simple. It doesn't mean that we might not sometimes find it hard, it doesn't mean that sometimes our faith drains away. But we're asked to do things that are not beyond us. We're not asked to build an extraordinary, elaborate temple. We're not asked to do that, um, anything other than accept God's invitation. And so, in this Lent, I'd like to send you home with some encouragement. God is the God of justice. And that means that one day, one day all shall be well. One day every wrong will be righted. One day, the field that the locusts have eaten will be restored. One day, all will be well. I finish with this line because I love it. And I think the idea that one day the last will be first inspires me. And so the great procession of pomp and circumstance, of elaborate buildings, of all that goes with religion, will one day be transformed into something simple and lovely and beautiful. And we will be sitting around a lighted fire with the Christ, sharing an ale, perhaps sharing a story, knowing that this life was just the first few pages of the great Book of Life. Amen.
0: Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the priest. We acknowledge one baptism called forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy God, whose Son, Jesus Christ, was tempted as we are yet without sin, be our strength in times of weakness. When we fall, lift us up. When we are in error, direct us in all our wanderings, be our guide, that we may discern your presence with us and strive always to be your people to our lives' end. We pray this day for the needs of our world, for all whose lives are being destroyed by the continuing horror of war and violence. We pray for the people of Gaza and the Holy Land, for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, Sudan, and all the other troubled regions of the world. We pray for all who cry out for justice or who lack the basic necessities of life. For the leaders of the nations whose decisions impact on the lives of so many and upon the future of our precious planet and we pray for ourselves when we succumb to the temptations of greed and selfishness and become insensitive to the needs of others inspire us all by your holy spirit to work for your justice and your peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the church throughout the world, for the churches from which we have come, and for this church of St. Bride. We pray for all whom we seek to serve in our parish and community, for all journalists and those who work in the media, especially those who risk their lives and their personal safety to give a voice to the voiceless and to tell stories that would otherwise remain untold. We give thanks for all who have inspired us on our own journeys of faith, those who have set us an example of godly living and all who strive for peace and reconciliation in your name, Lord, In your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick and the suffering, especially those whom we carry in our hearts, those who have asked for our prayers and those who have no one to pray for them. Heavenly Father, we hold them before you in silence this day and we ask your blessing upon them. Almighty God, healer of the sick and strength of the weak and the vulnerable, look with mercy upon those who suffer at this time and touch them with a gentle balm of your love. Bring healing to those who are sick, peace of mind to those who are anxious and strength to those who care for them. Lord, in your mercy... Hear our prayer. We pray for those who have died, and for any who are are dying now. Grant us with them a share in your eternal kingdom. God of compassion, your love for us is boundless and changeless, even when we go astray. In gentleness, you call us back to your love. Have mercy upon us when we fail you, through laziness, pride, or lack of self-control. And as you forgive us, so help us to forgive others and to dedicate our lives anew in your service. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our saviour jesus christ amen will you please stand since we are justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ who has given us access to his grace the peace of the lord be always with you It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. The Lord be. and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours for ever and ever. Amen. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving we do not presume to come to this your table merciful lord trusting in our own righteousness but in your manifold and great mercy we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table but you are the same lord whose nature is always to have mercy grant us therefore gracious lord Let us pray. Merciful Lord, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God. grace to grow in holiness, to deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow him. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Go in the peace
5: of